Hello, everyone. This is Raise Your Voice as part of the D-Raise Bay Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brett Rutherford, and baseball was back on our television screens this weekend as the Rays played their opening weekend series against the Toronto Blue Jays and took two games out of three. Overall, a very successful weekend in terms of wins and losses. But there's a lot to unpack in this series. Obviously, a very exciting Game 3 in which the Rays won in extra innings on Sunday afternoon. And we're going to get to that a little bit later on in the show. But a lot of news around baseball in baseball involving the Rays, uh, for sure. And we're going to start off, uh, we're going to just jump right into it. Uh, The opening day roster was put out. A couple surprises for the Rays, but overall, nothing too big. Uh, One of the biggest ones was Daniel Robertson being left off the opening day roster. The Rays decided to go with for a right-handed hitting middle infielder. That's not Willie Adamas. They went with Mike Brasso. Um, not sure everything that went into that decision. Um, Brasso actually did okay when he got you know he got into the games uh, this past weekend. But Daniel Robertson was initially left off that opening day roster. He got put back on it before the start of the season. Diego Castillo went on the paternity list as of right now on the day of recording. Uh, he is still on the paternity list, so Daniel Robertson still has a spot on the team, and it's not clear whether or not he'll keep that spot once Diego Castillo returns. Uh, the biggest surprise about the Daniel Robertson decision was that everyone kind of assumed he was the clear understudy for Willie Adamas. Uh, not that Willie Adamas needs an understudy, but say something happens to Willie Adamas and in a shortened season and it w- when everyone's getting ramped up quickly and there's probably going to be a few more injuries and obviously you might have to deal with uh, COVID-related absences at some point, you would expect Daniel Robertson, who a lot of people think is that understudy for Willie Adamas, to be on the opening day roster, uh, and he wasn't initially. Now, I, I know that kind of goes out the window when he gets added before the first pitch of the first game, um, but he was left off initially. If there's a situation in which he's removed from the roster again, i.e. when Diego Castillo comes back off the IL, uh, or the, not the IL, the paternity list, rather, uh, Daniel Robertson, uh, if, if he's not kept on the roster, I could see that shortstop spot going to Joey Wendell, uh, the backup shortstop. Brandon Lau's definitely not going to play there, and I don't think Mike Brasso would play there either, uh, but that is yet to be seen. And then the other bit of news also came on opening day, and that, that was Thursday, uh, the start of the, the regular season for, there were two games, it was the Yankees-Nationals and then Giants-Dodgers on national television. Really, hours before uh, the start of the season, it started to come out, and Heyman had, John Heyman had reported this, I think, on Wednesday that Major League Baseball and the Players Union were discussing discussing an expanded postseason. So this had been part of initial negotiations about the return to play in 2020. Ultimately, it was decided that, or it just wasn't negotiated, uh, anything different, but the postseason was going to be the same. So you were going to see uh, 10 teams, five from each league, the three division winners for each league, plus two wild cards for each league, and the postseason format wasn't even going to change. Now, it started to come out either earlier this year or last year, that Major League Baseball was looking to expand to potentially, it was at 14 teams and having some sort of um, like selection Sunday type of thing where the, the top seeds would pick their opponent. That seemed really wonky, and that's not what's happening. But on the last day or the first day of the season, baseball in the Players Union came to an agreement about an expanded postseason. So first off, they agreed on a $50 million uh, money pool for the players in the postseason. 
but there will be more than 10 teams. There's going to be six teams in the postseason, and uh, or 16, rather. I think I said six. Uh, yeah, definitely not six. There's going to be 16, so more than half of Major League Baseball will be in the postseason this year. Now, I have a lot of strong feelings about that. Uh, I think in a year, in, in most years, when you're playing 162 games, uh, there's no need for that many teams in the postseason. Uh, the one sport where I think it's maybe okay, just because I like the way they format it, is the NHL and their Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, the NBA, I think it's a bit ridiculous to have 16 teams. I know both of those leagues play 82 games, um, but it's just odd. Baseball, you play twice that. You play 162. No need to have 16 teams. You look at who uh, some of those teams were. You're having you know a lot of teams that are either hovering around 500 or even below 500 that would make the postseason. And honestly, it's quite ridiculous. With a 60-game season, there's a lot of other wacky stuff going on that a decision like this to expand at the last postseason, as much as it kind of frustrates me, it's not something I'm losing sleep over. Uh, it definitely doesn't hurt the Rays' chances of making it into the, making it into the postseason. In fact, it it really almost makes them a lock. Um, you know, not really a lock, but it probably you know I think their chances to make the postseason were I don't know what they were at, but I think they're at like eighty something percent now because the top two teams in every division are making the postseason no matter what. So top two teams in each division plus two more wild cards, and that would be, be eight from each league. And uh, the Rays, you know, were in almost every projection, either second or first in the American League East. You look around the league, you've got the Blue Jays, the or look around the division, rather, the Blue Jays, the Orioles, and the Red Sox. None of those teams are really any good. So the Rays' chances are really bolstered here to make the postseason. But the catch is... Once you get into that 16-team postseason, uh, the first round is a best of three. And we're talking about baseball and the wild card game and the controversy surrounding the wild card game. Like, how can you decide who's going to advance in the postseason based on one game? And I'm okay with the wild card game because I think it really puts an emphasis on winning your division. Plus, it gives, I guess, one more team a chance to sneak into the postseason um, than the, when it used to just be one wild card. Um, but I've always been a proponent of win your division. You know, you want to make it to the postseason, win your division, be the best in your division. Uh, and, you know, the, the postseason should be the best of the best. And uh, the wild card, I, th- I still think, is a, you know, the, the way it's set up with the, with the normal 10 teams as opposed to when it was just eight teams across baseball, I think works fine. The wild card game is fine and exciting. A best of three in which every single team that makes the postseason, it doesn't matter if you win 100 games, or I guess you could say you know 40 to 45 games in a season like this, uh, you still play in a best of three. And odds are uh, every team that makes the postseason will at one point this season lose a, a best of three series in the regular season. So it shows that it can happen to just about anyone. Uh, and it's not like basketball. It's not like hockey where for the most part in the early rounds, the higher you know ranked teams, especially when there's big discrepancies like the eight seed and the one seed, the higher seed advances. I don't really expect that to happen in baseball this season. Now, I'm not saying that the Yankees and the Dodgers are going to get eliminated in the first round of the postseason, but I'm saying the possibility of that happening goes up pretty high when, when, you, when you shorten a series either down from seven to three games or, or five to three games. Um, but looking at it, so you've got... Uh, The the top three seeds are going to be the division winners in each league. And then four through six is going to be the division runners-up. And then seven and eight are going to be uh, the uh, wild card. So it doesn't matter what your record is. And I think that's especially important this year because there's no inter-division 
uh, games. You're not playing any teams from the Central or the West. If you're in the East, like the Rays are, uh, you're only playing teams within the East. So I like how they're giving the same seeds. Like if, if No matter if you have a worse record, if you're a division runner-up and you have a better record than a division winner in another division, you're still going to be seeded four through six. And I enjoy that. I know there's some issues with that, but in a season like this, where you're not playing any interdivision games, you're playing completely different schedules from the other teams in your league, uh, I appreciate that. I think that's the right decision. So postseason format, best of three series in the first round, one plays eight, two plays seven, so on and so on. Best of five in the second round, and then we're going to the best of seven for the championship series and best of seven for the World Series. And again, I just think, um, yeah, it helps the race chances a lot at making the postseason, but definitely doesn't increase their chances of winning the World Series. Uh, they could easily get bounced in a three-game series, no matter how good of a season they have in a 60-game, uh, right over a 60-game schedule. And no matter how healthy they are, they could easily lose a best-of-three series, uh, especially if they're, you know, say they're, you know, a four-through-six seed, say they can't win the division against the Yankees this year. That could really hurt them. Um, but yeah, it is what it is. I hope it doesn't stick. I do expect at some point, probably next year or 2022, the the postseason to expand in a normal season. And we still no guarantees that 2021 is going to be normal. Um, I, I do expect the postseason to expand to either 12 teams or 14 teams. I, I really hope it's not 16 teams. But my fear is that uh, in the eyes of the 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 the, the, the big wigs at the with the league and the TV execs that this postseason is going to be a hit and that they're going to want to keep it. But uh, that that's to be seen. I really hope not. I really like 10 games. I could probably get over to 12, maybe even 14. Um, but 16 is just a lot. Over half the league. That's just tough to spin, especially when you play so many games uh, in a major league season. Next piece of news, Austin Meadows, who had tested positive for COVID-19, he disclosed that. He allowed the team to share that information. He's back in workouts. He's down in Port Charlotte at the alternate site uh, for Ray's camp with the rest of the players in the 60-man pool that aren't on the active roster. And it looks like he could be coming back this week at some point. Now, there's, that's not a guarantee. Um, he's taking at-bats, but he's not playing in games. There's no You can't send him to Port Charlotte to play for the Stone Grabs or to Durham to play for the Bulls for a couple of nights because there's no minor league season. Now, I know they're doing simulated games and these other scrimmages and stuff at this alternate site. But it's definitely not the best way to to come back off of an injury or to come back off of you know time you spent away from baseball, which Meadows was doing while he after he had tested positive for COVID nineteen. But looks like he could come back this week. Not a guarantee. Would be interesting to see because the Rays' offense disappointed me a little bit this week, and we're going to talk about that in just a second. And uh, I, I think he would really help the Rays line up. Let's get into it though. Rays take two out of three from the Toronto Blue Jays at Tropicana Field. They're playing the Braves this week. We're going to talk about that series in a little bit. But game one, opening day, Friday day, Friday afternoon for the Rays. They lose this one 6-4 to four against the Blue Jays. We want to look through the starting lineup real quick for the Rays. You had Yandy Diaz leading off and playing first base. Hunter Renfro hitting second in right field. Yoshi Tsutsugo um, hitting thir- third and playing third base. Jose Martinez in the cleanup spot as the designated hitter. Manuel Margot hitting fifth in left field. Mike Brasso hitting sixth at second base. Mentioned Brasso made that opening day roster over Daniel Robertson, and he got to start uh, at second base. Hitting seventh at shortstop, Willie Adamas. 
eighth in center field is Kevin Kiermeyer. In batting ninth, the backstop, Mike Zanino. Charlie Morton got the start for the Rays, faced off against Blue Jays lefty, or new Blue Jays lefty, Hinjin Ryu. Morton uh, got roughed up. So let's go ahead and talk about it. Charlie Morton finished the day, four innings pitched, seven hits, six runs allowed, one walk, four strikeouts, and a home run to Kevin Biggio. Not the opening day start that Charlie Morton was hoping for. It was his first opening day start in his career. Obviously, unlike any opening day Major League Baseball has ever seen. Um, but really, you know, tip of the cap to Charlie, who was outstanding in 2019. was a Cy Young Award finalist, finished third in Cy Young voting behind Justin Verlander and uh, Garrett Cole. And uh, first, early on in this game, Charlie Morton looked really good. Uh, first three innings, he was cruising. The the worrying part was is his velo was down. He was sitting like in the mid to low 90s, 92, 93, when he's usually 94, 95, 96. And after those first three innings, he you know things really started to go bad for him. And uh, he, he said it that he didn't feel that his fastball was as threatening, and that was definitely I think visible on TV. And uh, that caught up to him once the Blue Jays made it back around the top of the order, made it through the order a couple times. And he ended up giving six runs. Uh, the, the last of those runs was a three-run homer from Kevin Biggio in the top of the fifth, and, and that ended up being the end of Charlie Morton's day. Good news for the Rays in this game. Right? Even though they went on to lose the game, the bullpen pitched the last five innings and did not give up a run. Uh, really good sign for the Rays in the usage of their bullpen. And besides Jose Alvarado, it was two guys that you know, you're not expecting to be the lights-out guys for the Rays that came in. So Ryan Thompson, after the Biggio home run, Ryan Thompson comes in, bases are cleared in the fifth inning. He's making his big league debut. So Ryan Thompson, a 28-year-old guy, making his big league debut. Uh, Not a lot of Rays fans expected him to be on the opening day roster. Here he is. And uh, he did really well. He pitched two shutout innings, only gave up one hit, walked one, didn't strike out any. Um, but he's got a you know funky delivery. He's a sidearm guy, generated some soft contact, and, and pitched really, really well. And a cool story from this, uh, Thompson's dad obviously could not be at the game, no fans allowed in attendance, but his dad flew from Oregon, his home state, to St. Pete just to be in the same city as Ryan Thompson uh, while he was pitching in his big league debut. And uh, Thompson said that after the game, they met in his parking lot. He said they were six parking spaces away. They wanted to maintain a social distance. And they just sat up there, you know, in their two cars and, and just talked about his outing, talked about how he, how he did. And I don't know. That's a really cool story. Um, obviously, it sucks that his dad could not be there. I think you know, there's a number of, of reasons why, you know, this season's going to be weird and this season's going to be tough and it's going to be sad in some ways. And this is just one, you know, there's going to be a lot of guys that make big league debuts. And this is, you know, the biggest moment of their life, of their baseball life, I should say. And, and the fact that their friends and their family and their parents can't be there in person to witness that um, is really tough. Uh, but really glad that, that Thompson's dad was able to fly down to St. Pete and the, and the two were able to, to chit-chat a little bit about the game as, as parents and, and their kids like to do after baseball games. I know that from personal experience. Uh, but another guy that made his big league debut in this game was Yoshi Sutsugo. Uh, the uh, the Rays signed him for the Yokohama Bay Stars last year in the offseason to a two-year contract. Uh, I think my favorite move of the Rays offseason, and 
A lot of he came, he came in. A lot of people thought he was either going to be in left field or as a designated hitter. And the race started working him out at third base in spring training. That continued in summer camp, and that's where he was in the lineup today. He was hitting third and playing third base, and he hit a two, he hit a two run home run to get the race on the board, or not to get them on the board, but to uh, bring bring him closer in that game and, and brought in two runs in the fifth. I really like this Yoshi guy so far. Obviously, super early in the season, great plate discipline, is able to work a walk. And on that home run he hit against Hinge and Ryu, where the Rays started to get to Ryu and, and get to then move on to the Blue Jays' bullpen, it was an 89-mile-an-hour fastball, middle out. Yoshi sat back on it, drove it the other way into, into left center field, and uh, it, it was a massive home run. And it, it showed off his, his pure power and his pure strength and the way he can kind of handle and control the strike zone from a hitter's point of view. Loved seeing that from Yoshi. Uh, he's going to be a mainstay, I think, in the in the heart of the Rays lineup for most of this season, and love to see him hit there. And I didn't really get to see him, from what I can remember, much in action at third base. I'm a little bit skeptical about his defensive abilities at third, but when the Rays bring in so many outfielders, and you've still got Austin Meadows that's going to come into the fray, hopefully very soon, you've got to be able to fit a guy like Yoshi into the lineup. I'm guessing he might take more DH at-bats once Meadows comes back and Martinez starts you know, he was in the lineup this weekend against right-handed pitching. I expect you'll see less of that. And not, you know, he'll still hit against righties, but he's going to mainly be the guy against left-handed pitchers. And Yoshi uh, would probably slot in as the as the designated hitter. Um, but, yeah, really cool to see Yoshi do that in his big league debut. That was his first big league hit. Other than Yoshi, I think the player of the game here for the Rays is Jalen Beeks. Ryan Thompson, like I said, went two innings, then turns the ball over to Jalen Beeks. It's not always been a sure thing that Jalen Beeks has a spot on this roster and in this pitching staff, but I still really like him as a multi-inning reliever. He looked really good on Friday, went two innings, struck out five, and I imagine for the near future, it'll either be Beeks or Anthony Bonda in that role as a multi-inning left-handed pitcher out of the bullpen. But so far, Jalen Beeks, uh, he's doing well. Great start to the season, two innings, kept the Blue Jays off the board, and really shows how deep this Rays bullpen is. Uh, and, the, and the Rays bullpen like really was the star of the game for them and really gave them a chance to to tie it up and win it in the ninth. Ultimately, they couldn't cash in. Uh, but Jose Alvarado, we all know that the bumpy season that he had last year for a number of reasons, he comes in, keeps the Blue Jays off the board in the ninth. And ultimately, the Rays couldn't uh, get it done. Manuel Margot did get on base late, but nothing new in for the Rays. They lose that one 6-4. to four. Move on to game two, though. A little bit more success for the Rays. They win this one 4-1. to one. So, so looking at some of the lineup changes here, G-Man Troy leads off and uh, slots in at first base. Looks like we're going to get Yandy Diaz and G-Man Troy going back and forth as the leadoff hitter, uh, depending on if it's a left-handed or right-handed pitcher. I know that JT Morgan mentioned it, I think, on last week's hit show where he joined Danny Russell to talk about the intra-squad game. Um, but he'd like to see Yoshi in the leadoff spot. I think Yoshi's got good enough plate discipline, and he draws walks, and he can obviously get on base and, and hit for power and hit the gaps and hit home runs. And I'd love to see Yoshi in this spot at some point this season. And the Rays are definitely an experiment with the lineups, even though we've got a really short season. Um, but Yoshi did DH on Saturday uh, and hit in the cleanup spot. Brand going back to the top of the lineup. Brandon Lau hit second in left field. Yandy Diaz uh, hitting third, playing third base. Joey Wendell hitting fifth, 
playing second base. Then you got Manuel Margot in right, Kevin Kiermeyer in center, Willie Adamas at shortstop, and then Michael Perez gets the start over Mike Zanino in game two. I don't know if – I don't think Perez is going to start for most of the time when it's right-handed pitching. I don't know if they're giving Zanino a day off. I don't know what the decision process was there. Probably just giving Zanino a day off because he did go ahead and start on uh, Sunday again. Um, but Ryan Yarbrough got the start for the Rays, went five and a third, shutout innings. Only struck out one, but only walked one. We know Yarbrough's not going to be a strikeout guy. He's going to generate a lot of soft contact, and that's what he did on Saturday. Then turned it over to the bullpen, who, besides Peter Fairbanks, uh, did really, really well. I, I don't think Fairbanks is terrible. I think he's got really good stuff. I'm all aboard the Fairbanks train this year. Uh, the Rays just need to keep trying him out, and I think they will. He did have two strikeouts. He faced five batters, but he gave up a home run. Um, made it things a little tricky for the Rays. Um, but ultimately, they go on to win it 4-1. to one. Nick Anderson went an inning and a third in that game. Faced five batters, didn't strike out a single one. For, for Nick Anderson, I think that's a big shocker. Oliver Drake picks up the save. I don't really care about saves, but Oliver Drake got this one. Uh, the Rays had a three-run lead. Obviously, had just thrown Nick Anderson for an inning and a third. They turned the ball over to Oliver Drake, who is the right-handed pitcher that can get lefties out. He finishes it off in the ninth inning. One thing I really liked about this game, and, and, and really from this whole opening series, Kevin Cash is setting these lineups up to make really good substitutions. And then he's taking advantage of that and making those good substitutions. For example, in this game, the Rays used all three of their catchers, uh, which allowed them at one point to pinch run Mike Brasso for Michael Perez, and then pinch hit Hunter Renfro for Mike Zanino in a big spot. And they're going to continue to do this. So I don't know how long the Rays will be carrying three catchers. Right now, the roster sits at 30 players. In two weeks, that's going to cut down to 28. They might, depending on how the season goes for the next two weeks, keep it at three catchers then. I don't expect it after the two weeks after that when it cuts down to 26. Uh, right now, it's helping them out a lot. And they were able to make those key substitutions in key moments. And Kevin Cash taking advantage of it so far. In my opinion, one of the best managers, not only in the American League, but in all of baseball. And he showed it this weekend. Uh, getting an inning uh, plus out of guys like Nick Anderson. So he went an inning in a third. Uh, if, if he can do that all season, I think that's going to be vital. Um, just getting those outs and, you know, he's not always going to be pitch the night. And I talked about that um, with, I, I wrote about that on D-Rays Bay, that the Rays bullpen, you know, I expect Nick Anderson to get a bulk of the save opportunities but he's not always going to get them. That's just the way ways operate. That's probably the smartest way to operate. Do you not have a guy that you're just going to pitch when it's the ninth inning and, and, and you have a lead? The best time to, for Anderson to come in in this game was in the seventh. He pitched the seventh and the eighth, and he looked really, really good, uh, despite not striking anyone out. I know that's what he was famous for last year. Um, but, yeah, Nick, if you can get more than an inning out of a guy like Nick Anderson in get him a bigger chunk of those 27 outs, and he's still effective, that's going to be huge for the Rays uh, going forward. Maybe even when Diego Castillo comes back, trying to push him more than an inning. I know he's done it before. I think he's gone deeper than an inning a few times when he opened last year. Don't know about Jose Alvarado. They might keep him at, at just one inning uh, max, but really liked what I saw of Nick Anderson. And then you got to talk about Brandon Lau. He, he really hitting the ball well to start the season on Saturday and, and, and also on Sunday. He's going to strike out a bunch, and we know that, and we can, we can accept that. And I know Jim Turvey <laughs> agrees with that point. 
but he's getting the ball to the right center gap a lot already. And just hope that continues. Hopefully he put, puts a few uh, over the fence too, which, which we know he will. Uh, but he's seeing the ball well, putting it in play, you know, hitting for extra bases, hitting for power. Love to see that from Brandon Lau after a really, really promising uh, rookie campaign last year in which he was an American League All-Star. So moving on to Sunday, the rubber match after the Rays and Jays split the first two. And the Rays take this one home, and they take the series. They they win 6-5 to five in what was definitely the most exciting game of the series. Uh, looking at the starting lineup, G-Man Choi uh, playing first base. A switch hitting G-Man Choi. We'll talk about that in just a second. Brandon Lau stays in second base. Yandy Diaz at third. Jose Martinez in against a right-handed pitcher as the DH. Yoshi Tsutsugo did not start in this game. Cash said it was just a day off. I was a little bit worried when I didn't see him in the lineup there. Uh, Kevin Kiermaier hitting fifth. Eh, I'm not sure how I feel about that. But all three games, the Rays went Margot, Wendell, and Kiermaier in the five hole. So, I don't know, maybe a different thought process there from Kevin Cash. Manuel Margot um, hitting sixth and in left field. Hunter Renfro hitting seventh in right field. I thought maybe Renfro and Kiermaier should have been switched. Uh, but Kevin Kiermaier ended up being the hero of the day for the Rays in extra innings. Uh, Willie Adamas hitting eighth at shortstop. And Mike Zanino back behind the plate hitting ninth. So this was the return of Blake Snell to the mound. So uh, Blake Snell, I guess not really the return. He wasn't. I mean, he was supposed to miss maybe a little bit of time at the beginning of the season. And then we had heard that there was a small setback in his schedule in summer camp. We weren't quite sure what it was for. Cash, I think, said today it was for, quote-unquote, various reasons. And then we weren't sure when he was going to start. I was hearing Monday, maybe even Tuesday. The Rays decide to pitch him on Sunday. So this was his fifth day, five days rest. Uh, he pitched in the intra-squad game on Wednesday. And we get two innings out of him. So I was only expecting two or three. Wish he would have been able to go a third. Um, but the pitch count got up there pretty quickly. He looked good, though. The stuff was elite. The stuff was what we expect out of Blake Snell. If you haven't listened to it already, I think it's still really topical. Um, the Snell Isle I did, episode I did with Brian Menendez a couple months ago talking about Blake Snell and why you can expect Blake Snell to be just as, you know, a lot better than what he was last year at the surface level because we talked about some aspects of his game from 2019 and how in some aspects of his game, he was better than what he was in 2018 when he won the Cy Young and put up the best statistical season for any race starting pitcher ever. And uh, the stuff was there today. Five strikeouts, uh, the breaking stuff looked good, the slider and the curve, the fastball was threatening, and it really, uh, the Blue Jays hitters really struggled with it. He did give up a few hits, got himself into trouble in both the first and second inning, walked a couple batters, but ultimately got out of it. And at the end of the day, um, that's really all that matters. You want him that control and that command to to work a little bit better for Blake Snell, but he's still ramping back up again. I, I said it. I said it about Snell and I said it about Glass. Now, don't expect these guys to go deep into games early in this season, or maybe even really at all in this season. It wouldn't shock me if Blake Snell never saw the eh, the sixth or seventh inning this year. Now, that's being completely honest. And, and the same could probably be said for Tyler Glass now. Both dealt with injuries last year, and Blake Snell a little bit this year as well. And the Rays are going to want to be very cautious. And at the end of the day, with the expanded postseason odds, I know you want to win your division and get a better seed and hopefully give yourself a, you know, a little bit better of a chance to advance in the postseason. But the Rays probably feel pretty comfortable in terms of how Kevin Cash and Kyle Snyder are going to manage this team in making the postseason. That's just a guess, but 
they're going to be cautious with Snell and Glass now. So Snell goes two innings. And I'm going to get through the pitching. I know you guys want me to talk about G-Man Choi, and I'm going to talk about G-Man Choi. I tweeted earlier today that uh, I was going to scrap all my show notes and just talk about G-Man Choi for an hour, and I probably could. Um, But let's get through the rest of the pitching. Trevor Richards goes three innings. I thought he looked good for the first few, and then uh, started to get lit up, gave up six hits, four earned runs. Uh, Some of those runs came across when Andrew Kittredge came in and and couldn't stop the bleeding before the Blue Jays uh, were up 4-0. Aaron Loop, I thought, looked good. And then we'll talk about Jose Alvarado and Chaz Rowe, who both looked really good in just a second. But the big big story, even after a walk-off victory for the Rays, is G-Man Choi, homers in this game, but hitting right-handed. <laughs> and uh, he really is becoming, he's probably going to get a lot more votes in the folk hero bracket for the, the greatest Rays ever bracket, that the, uh, the most beloved Rays player bracket that the guys at the hit show are doing. But we saw G-Man Choi start to try this out in summer camp. I said on this podcast, I don't remember who it was on. It might have been JT. It might have been Darby. I don't remember exactly. But we talked about on this podcast after this happened with G-Man Choi. There's no way he does this in a real game. Well, I mean, maybe I said there was a chance. I think I said if the Rays are doing it, they have to be somewhat serious in summer camp. And and there was a chance. He hit right-handed in this game against the left-handed pitcher after the Blue Jays made a pitching change. And in his first at-bat, it looked pretty ugly. He struck out, and everyone on Twitter that maybe hadn't seen the headline or hadn't seen that note from summer camp that he was, took some right-handed swings in the cages was a little shocked by it. But then comes his second at-bat. He hits a home run to the deepest part of the ballpark, the old Captain Morgan party deck or the Duckies party deck. I don't, it doesn't have a sponsor this year. It's all gray out there, but hits a home run from the right side of the plate. And it was not a fluke. Like I said, it wasn't a fluke. It was to the deepest part of the bark, park, 110 exit velocity. The ball went 429 feet. I mean, needless to say, he crushed this baseball from the right side of the plate. And G-Man Troy might be a switch hitter now, which in terms of lineup versatility and how G-Man Troy fits into this lineup, that is huge news for the Rays. He didn't even start in the game against Hinjin Ryu on opening day. They moved Yandi over to first and played Yoshi Tsutsugo at third, who they trust to hit a little bit better against left-handed pitching. But if G-Man Troy can hit from both sides, nothing is stopping him. And again, I'm not expecting him to come out there and you know hit 430-foot home runs every single game, but nothing's stopping him from being the Rays' true everyday first baseman and not a platoon with, with, with Yandy Diaz. That's really encouraging, not only for G-Man in, in his search for playing time, which he's getting plenty of already, but also the Tampa Bay Rays and how they construct a lineup. So... We'll see how it goes. He's not, you know, going to be a full-time switch hitter. I expect him at, at some point this season to probably still take left-handed swings against left-handed pitching, but maybe not. Maybe if it, it keeps working out and he feels comfortable, the Rays feel comfortable with him doing it, it'll continue. And I hope we get more G-Man home runs. I know we will. Uh, <laughs> that really was the most f- fun part of that game and, and what well, really was an exciting game. Uh, Brandon Lau, three more hits. Two more extra base hits. He had had a hustle single in the ninth that led to the game being tied. Uh, I talked about Richards, how he looked good, and I I want the Rays to continue using him for multiple innings out of the bullpen, but maybe kind of just watch how many innings he goes and how many times he can go through the lineup before he starts to get roughed up. Uh, When the Rays gave up all those runs to make it 4-0, Manuel Margot, really bad mistake in left field, let a ball hop right by him. It led to a Blue Jays run. Now, I'm I'm not worried about Margot's defensive abilities. He's a very good defensive outfielder. 
that the Rays got in that Emilio Pagan trade with the San Diego Padres this year. And that run probably would have scored anyways, given the way that Richards was pitching and, and Kittredge afterwards. But he's got to make those plays in the outfield. That really hurt the Rays, especially when the offense wasn't clicking at that point. The Rays were able to claw back, though. And it's what they what we kind of expect out of the Rays. They're not the most explosive offense in baseball. They weren't last year, and I really don't expect them to be this year. I think they can be better in a lot of places, given the moves they made this offseason. But they're not going to be the Yankees. They're not going to be the Twins. They're not going to be the Dodgers. The Rays fought back in this game, tied it up in the ninth. But I have to say, it really came after some terrible pitching from the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, Ken Giles left the game with, with forearm soreness. Don't know. I mean, he, he was injured, but he was bad. Uh, could not find the strike zone in this game and ultimately let the Rays back into it. So uh, running through that ninth inning, uh, he was he got the first two outs of the inning. He got uh, Kiermaier out and, and Manny Margot out. Then he gives up a, a double to Joey Wendell. Still two outs. You've still got you know a couple run lead. Walks Willie Adamas. Then he walks Yoshi Tutsugo. Now the bases are loaded. He falls behind three to one to G Man Troy. Then the trainer comes out. They decide to pull him from the game and they go to the lefty Brian Moran. And again, G-Man Troy, who started the at-bat hitting left-handed because Ken Giles is a righty, after the pitching change, switches to the right side of the plate. And uh, I was thinking G-Man walk off Grand Slam from the right side of the plate, um, build the statue outside the trop tomorrow. Um, but Brian Moran uh, you know, walked him with the first pitch. It was already 3-1, kind of unfair to Moran to come in in that situation, in a high-leverage situation, walks G-Man Troy. Uh, I, I think the decision to go to Moran was a good decision for Montoya. Troy is typically a left-handed hitter, so you're either going to have the lefty-lefty matchup or you're going to force, force Troy to go over to the right side of the plate. I know he hit a home run there earlier in this game, but, I mean, can you expect him to do that again? Probably not. And then you had left-handed hitter Brandon Lyle up next, who's typically not very good against left-handed pitching. So you're either going to force uh, Kevin Cash to lift Brandon Lau for a worse hitter like uh, Brasso or Robertson. Not the worst hitters, but they're worse than Brandon Lau with the right matchups. Uh, or you've got the advantage in a lefty-lefty matchup. So he, he walked Troy and then get Brandon Lau up. And I have no confidence in Brandon Lau. Yeah, well, you know, the Rays were down a run at this point. It was 4-3. to three. Absolutely zero confidence in Brandon Lau against the lefty. I know Jim Turvey will appreciate that. Um, but, you know, Jim, I'm going to make sure I give Brandon Lau credit where credit is due because he is my guy. He hits the ball hard to the right side into the shift. Second baseman Kevin Biggio was over there to field it in shallow right field. Vlad Jr. tried to make a play on the ball, though, from first base. So at that point, he, sl he slid or dove. I think it was more of a slide to his right to try to make a play on the ball. So if he's on the ground, he's not covering first base. You know, Moran had to, you know, scramble towards first base. And Brandon Lau was able to beat him there after diving headfirst, which is probably not the right decision to dive headfirst into first base for injury purposes and that, you know, you're not really getting any speed on there. But he was safe. He beat Moran to the bag. It was close play. He was called safe initially. They reviewed it. It was pretty quick. But the tying run came in to score then for the Rays. So that would have ended the game if the, the Blue Jays had made that play. Instead, the Rays tie up the game and have Yandy Diaz at the plate still with the bases loaded. Uh, and a chance to win this game in the ninth. Come back all the way uh, from down 4-2. Yanni Diaz couldn't bring in the winning run. Flew, he flies out to right field. So we go to extra innings. Got to talk about the extra innings rule. 
if you haven't heard already, um, in, in extra innings, you start off with a man on second base and no outs. So no matter what, start of every extra inning, guy goes to second base. He is It's supposed to be the last out made in the previous inning. You can still substitute that. So I think it was Danny Jansen for the Blue Jays, and they put on Santiago Espinal to pinch run for Danny Jansen. Let me get this straight, though. I just don't like the rule. Uh, I, I don't expect this rule to stick past 2020. I mean, who knows, given what we've seen from Major League Baseball. I guess it could. Uh, I don't think it adds excitement to the game. I don't think it adds strategy. I, I think it's just really dumb. Uh, just, I, I, I think Austin Ryman said it in our Slack chat today. It's just not baseball. And, and I agree with him there. The Blue Jays tried to move their, their free runner to third via stolen base. I, I don't think that's a great decision. According to some run expectancy charts, uh, your team's probability of scoring goes, scoring at least one run goes up anywhere between 20 and 25%. But then you're running the much bigger risk of, of running into an out when trying to steal third when your runner, especially a guy that's as quick as Espinal, is probably going to score on any base hit. Um, it, it's, it's better than bunting, though. At least they didn't bunt him over. I, I know Charlie Montoya knows better than that. It worked out for the Blue Jays here, though. It looked like Kevin Smith nailed him at third. He made a good throw, good pop, good throw. Wasn't the best tag by Wendell, who was playing third base at this point. Espinal slid in safely. He was originally called out. That was overturned. He was called safe. Now the Blue Jays have a runner on third. It was one out at this point. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. brings him in on a sack fly. And the Rays would enter the bottom of the 10th the same way they entered the bottom of the 9th with a deficit. So Kevin Smith became the runner on second. Uh, after he came in for Yanni Diaz to become the catcher. So not the runner the Rays probably would have picked to have, but he was the runner the Rays had. And the Blue Jays brought in Shun Yamaguchi. Also really struggled hitting his spot. He walked Jose Martinez to lead off the inning. That brought out Kevin Kiermeyer. Had a good at-bat and lined one in the right field for a triple, which obviously then scores both Kevin Smith and Jose Martinez, who made it all the way from first Really was not convinced that he was going to score. I thought he was either going to get thrown out or held at third or get caught in a pickle or something. But that wins the game for the Rays. Jose Martinez was the winning run, and the Rays win this one 6-5. A very exciting game. A lot of exciting stuff. You got to see Blake Snell on the mound. Uh, G-Man Troy with the right-handed home run. Kevin Kiermeyer get the walk off. Uh, felt like that was a huge confidence boost for him, the way he celebrated with the team which was something because there wasn't really any social distancing going on in the celebration like there was probably supposed to be. And then in his interview post-game on TV, um, looked like that was huge for him, which I think is awesome. Kevin Kiermaier needed that, and I'm glad that he got it. Overall, I was disappointed with the offense uh, this series and really in this game, and I think they were bailed out in some, in some really, uh, by some really bad pitching at a lot of points by the Blue Jays and the Blue Jays' bullpen in this series. That's something I have to work on going in. Maybe they have the same luck against the Braves bullpen, who's not better, I don't think. Uh, probably a little better than the Blue Jays bullpen, but probably not by much. But pitching really led the, ra- the way for the Rays this series, and, and ultimately they won it. Uh, they took two out of three. I think that's, you know, that's huge to win series like that early on in the season because, you know, they only have 57 games remaining, and uh, those games are, you know, those next four games are going to be against the Atlanta Braves, Two at home, two on the road, and we're going to preview that series. But first, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. And we're back talking about the Rays and Braves coming up this week. It's a four-game set. Two of those games are going to be at Tropicana Field. 
two of them at Truist Park. It is important to note the Braves are playing on Sunday night baseball in New York, so they're going to have to take a late flight tonight to get down to St. Pete in time for tomorrow's game. Uh, not sure if that's going to have a major impact, but it probably will have some sort of impact. Mike Fultonevich is going to be on the mound for the Braves tomorrow night. And for the Rays, it'll be Tyler Glass now making his first start of the season. Again, I don't really know what to expect out of Tyler Glass now. Uh, or not, I know what to expect. I expect to see some wipeout curveballs and some, some high-powered fastballs. But I don't know how much he's going to throw. Now, we saw Blake Snell only go two innings. I know his pitch count got up there pretty quickly. I don't know where Glass now is at. Obviously, he tested positive for COVID-19 at summer camp. Um, but he's pitched a good amount in some intra-squad games and in that uh, that live intra-squad game on TV. Not sure where he's at in his buildup. Probably right around the same with Blake Snell, um, but who knows? Maybe a little bit more. You, you, you look at the Atlanta Braves. Um, they've got a really solid lineup. Ronald Acuna Jr., Ozzie Albies, Freddie Freeman. They went out and they added Marcel Ozuna in the, uh, in the, in the offseason as a free agent, signed him to a one-year deal. And they are off to a bumpy start. The offense isn't really clicking as well as they thought it would. Uh, they're playing them. Uh, they have not played their last game against the Mets. It's actually getting ready to start at the time of recording. Um, but it's going to be Mike Fultonevich on the mound, who last year 117 innings pitched, 4.54 ERA. That's coming off the best season of his career in 2018, where he went 31 starts, 183 innings, had a 2.85 ERA. Uh, struck out 9.9 uh, batters per nine innings. Last year dropped all the way down to 8.1 K per nine. Uh, so a bit of an off year for Mike Fultonevich and uh, with the Atlanta Braves. The Braves are 1-1 one one at the time of recording. Like I said, have not played their series finale yet. It's just about to get underway. Uh, they lost one nothing on opening day and then pulled off a 5-3 to three win in extra innings after uh, they were able to claw themselves back into the game against Edwin Diaz. So it's taken a little bit for the Braves' offense to click. Now, Freddie Freeman, who's been a stalwart in their offense for a long, long time, uh, he dealt with some pretty severe symptoms from COVID-19, and I think that's really important to note, not necessarily about how he's going to play the game, but it's just a reminder that even athletes that are in amazing shape um, are still really susceptible to the nasty parts of, of this virus. I think that's just really important to remember and to mention. He's back. He's healthy. He feels good. He's back in the Braves lineup. The Rays are going to get to see a lot of him over the next four days, uh, and, and he's going to def definitely be a bat to worry about. Uh, now, it was rumored that the Braves are going to bring in Yasiel Puig. That's not happening. Um, after he tested positive for COVID-19, it's yet to be seen whether another team will bring him in um, once he's ready to go. But at some point, you're going to miss, you know, such, you know, you're only going to be playing for such little amount of the season that teams are going to be less inclined to sign you, especially for the money that you want. So it wouldn't shock me to see Yasiel Puig kind of just sit out the remainder of the season. The biggest question mark for the Braves is really their uh, bullpen. So that was their biggest struggle last year. They had to go out and get uh, Shane Green from the uh, Detroit Tigers. They also got Mark Melanson from the San Francisco Giants. Those are going to be their two most, mostly high-leverage guys. They've also got Luke Jackson, who struggled a little bit this year. They've got really solid starting pitching now. So after Fulton Evans, it's going to be Kyle Wright against the Rays on Tuesday, Mike Soroka, their ace, against the Rays on Wednesday, and then Max Freed on Thursday. And if the Rays can get past the starters, if they can get into the bullpen, I really like their chances 
against the Braves. You look at the rest of the Rays rotation for the week. Yanni Chirinos most likely going on Tuesday the 28th. Then back to the top, Charlie Morton will go on Wednesday. Ryan Yarbrough again on Thursday. Uh, the Braves are a good team. They're a postseason team. They won the NL East last year. They have an amazing manager and Brian Snicker. And uh, I think they could pose a really big threat for the Rays. Now, I don't know if I'm going to go ahead and make predictions on this series. I think the Rays want two out of four. Um, if you win both of your home games, which is going to be hard to do, then you got to take one in Atlanta and you win three out of four. I think the Rays would be very happy with a split. This is a talented team. They've got really good starting pitching. You're going to have to face Soroka, who is just a ground ball machine, you know, generates a lot of ground balls. But if you can get Austin Meadows back into the lineup at some point in this series, that is a boost. That that does open things up a little bit. Uh, he's not great in left field, but he's probably better um, than Brandon Lau, who played in left field uh, a little bit over the weekend. So, Really interesting series, and they're going to split it. I'm probably doing a midweek episode to talk about how this series is going. I'm trying to get one of those out, but and I'll go ahead and make the the prediction. Uh, we'll say the race split. They take one in St. Pete. We'll take the game with Glass now. The Glass now is going to pitch. We'll say three shutout innings. The bullpen picks it up, keeps uh, the Braves at bay, and then they'll win again with Morton. Morton going to have a huge bounce back after his rough start. On opening day, maybe they drop the Chirino start and, and the Arbro start, or maybe not though. Uh, if the if the lineup comes around, the, with the way the Rays pitched this weekend, besides Morton, they're going to be very successful this season, and they can compete with teams like the Braves, who are competing for a National League pennant again this year. That is going to do it for today's episode of Raise Your Voice. Again, hoping to get another one out this week. I know I'm riding solo tonight on the podcast. Uh, that is not going to be the new normal. Once the season started, we're still going to have plenty of great guests from some of the great content creators and writers over at DRaysBay.com. Make sure to check out all that writing. Now that the season is in full swing, lots of great stuff over at DRaysBay.com, so make sure to check that out. Um, but yeah, that's going to do it for today's episode. Thank you guys for listening. If you can rate and review this podcast or this podcast feed, obviously we've got uh, Raise Your Voice and The Hit Show. That's the best way to spread what we do and what we talk about and, and what we cover to more and more Rays fans as we get this season underway. It's going to be a weird one. There's it's a lot of weird stuff going to happen, um, but we get to talk about it. So that's the fun part. So thank you guys for listening and I'll talk to you guys next time.